You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, We guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey guys, Ready or Not 2024 is here, and we here at Breaking Points are already thinking of ways we can up our game for this critical election. We rely on our premium subs to expand coverage, upgrade the studio, add staff, give you guys the best independent coverage that is possible. If you like what we're all about, it just means the absolute world to have your support. But enough with that, let's get to the show. I rarely am speechless, Ryan, but that's how I felt when I saw this. Let's go ahead and put this up there on the screen. Elizabeth Holmes is being rehabilitated by the New York Times in a fawning new profile, which is so humiliating that they even acknowledge it in the story. They say, I was admittedly swept up in Liz as an authentic and sympathetic person. She's gentle and charismatic in a quiet way. My editor laughed at me when I shared these impressions, telling me, Amy, You got rolled. The headline of the piece, Ryan, is the black turtlenecks are gone, so is the voice. As the convicted Theranos founder awaits prison, she has adopted a new persona, devoted mother. Liz Holmes wants you to forget about Elizabeth. I mean, what did you make of this crap? Where basically they want to say like, oh, she's a mom and all this, erasing the fact that billions of dollars were stolen from investors and worse, as I always say, She actually sold this technology knowing it wouldn't work to Walgreens, and people were misdiagnosed based on her fake blood technology, some of whom suffered severe health events as a result of her BS diagnosis. So that is, to me, the most unforgivable crime of this entire thing, but give me your impressions of this ridiculous And, and I think there's nothing wrong yeah. with doing a profile of his No, absolutely. Holmes. If, I would if love you, to talk to if you. Can get, yeah. If you can get that, but then you also interview a bunch of people mm-hmm. about what it what it takes to be a sociopath yes, in this world. exactly. Because like, exactly. it, it appears from everything that she was doing in her mm-hmm. business world that she's like some type of a sociopath. Great A narcissist, no question. Just, yeah. The fact that she's now admitting that she faked that entire voice is so disturbing mm-hmm. that I think 
it, it could make for some deep psychological exploration. Oh, like, I would love to talk to her one-on-one. -on -one. I'd be like, so, you know, how do you, do you, do you have any remorse whatsoever about those people? How do you, how do you feel right. about that? What about people? Yeah. Like, at, at what point did you realize that people right. were going to be getting wrong diagnoses yeah. and you continued forward yes. anyway? Yeah. Yeah. Because you just thought that you could keep juggling it, right. and then eventually. Are you at peace with that when you pose for cameras with your two little kids? How do you live? With, yeah, I'd be like, how do you live with yourself? It yeah. could have been yeah. great. Instead, <laughs> it takes the celebrity profile form mm -hmm. and applies it to this. Everybody has, you know, read a good Vanity Fair profile sure. of you know where where an author spends like a day or an afternoon uh, with with a celebrity, mm -hmm. writes a couple witty lines. We read it in the airport. Everybody, everybody has fun, and we all go. Yeah, it's go great. Home. I was That's just, fun. I was telling you, I just read a profile of Tom Hanks. It was nice. Tom yeah. Hanks is a nice guy. I don't really yeah. think about it, but I was like, oh yeah, Tom, real stand-up guy, loves typewriters. Right. That's cool. Killed, That's not the same thing. Right, killed twenty minutes. Yeah, peace. <laughs> everybody's happy. They bring that to this sociopath. Yeah, so, like the the most celebrity profile line, probably in the whole piece, but the whole piece is in that form. She, uh, Amy Chozik writes, and we'll talk about who Amy Chozik mm -hmm. is in one second. She writes, so to just say it, Ms. Holmes knows what you're thinking about her trial and the birth of her two babies. And what she's referring to there in that in that under that subtle way is uh, the fact that she had these two kids in the middle of like the sentencing and the trial. Yes. And that everybody assumes like she had these kids in order to try to get out of prison. It's obviously is, true. She used her pregnancy as a shield at trial for sympathy. Yeah. Like it's it's so right. transparent. How do you not ask her that, not even ask her, press her on that directly? It's just, it's so absurd. And so it, the other interesting part yeah. is the is the identity of this reporter. Mm -hmm. So Amy, Amy Chozik, who has mostly gone away since 2016, yeah, it feels like, right. she was the beat reporter who was assigned to cover for the New York Times, the Hillary Clinton campaign in 2015 and 2016. And her, his, her quite soft coverage of her, I think, helped produce some of the delusions that the campaign operated under yes. in a self-destructive way. Like, right. So this kind of soft coverage that you do doesn't, in the end, often end up helping the person that you think it's helping mm -hmm. because it prevents them from then actually doing the self-reflection that would be necessary to correct what, what's going wrong here. Now, uh, kudos to Liz Holmes. She's now Liz. Uh, she doesn't wear the black turtlenecks. She doesn't right. have a deep voice anymore. Kudos to her for getting this coverage in the Times, but I don't think it's going to be enough because yeah. all it did is kind of lump Amy Chozik and the Times in with her rather than, I think, actually rehabilitate Because people can use their own common sense. But like, uh, you got rolled, just like your editor said. People read it. We're not exaggerating. Still can't even Incredible. Just an incredible moment where Tim Dillon had on two little Biden TikTok stars, clearly who have been, they claim they're not being paid, but of course they're attached to some sort of agency. Uh, Tim doing the, the Lord's work, I guess, um, having them on and interviewing them about their process, which resulted in one of the best clips that I've ever seen yet regarding these guys. Let's take a listen. It's actually really hard in this space, right? Like we have like 45 seconds to record a video, keep right. people's attention. And a lot of the people on our side, like if they start hearing, like I've actually done it before. I've, I've criticized like a Democrats, like specifically Hakeem Jeffries and it, it all just went south. Like I started losing followers, like it's bad, right? And I really want to be that person that like reaches the other side because Democrats, I mean, they're horrible at their jobs, right? They do a lot of sh shitty things, although I'll vote for them all the time. Um, but it, it's also hard in the space to criticize That's a them. good, can we clip yeah. that quote? They're horrible right, please don't. jobs. Please, please, please don't, please don't, please don't clip that. Them. Please, no, 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 no,
Please don't clip that. Please don't clip that. Uh, whenever I criticize them, the people get mad. Uh, that's the definition of propaganda and not of providing honest analysis. I mean, look, to be fair, these guys probably, they're so young. They probably don't even really realize like what they're caught up in. But I think one of the things that you mature and realize, Ryan, as I'm sure you've had and I have many times, is that pissing people off is actually a key part of the job yeah. if you want to remain intellectually honest throughout the period. Because I have been in the melee of some big social events and stuff. And so you got to stick to your guns, man. Yeah. And sometimes it works out. Sometimes you look like a fool. Yeah. And then you think about that in retrospect. And you said, you know what? I was a little bit too hot at in the way that I was thinking and talking about this. And this time around, because I remember exactly what was going on with that, you know, at this time, I'm gonna do this. And then by doing that, you end up pissing people off who demand like loyalty and fealty from you. When in reality, what you realize over time is you gotta try and stay true to yourself. But beyond that, you have to always try and say what you believe mm -hmm. and explain it in a cogent and thoughtful process and trust that people will stick with you through it. And if they don't, you have to come to the conclusion it's on you and it's not on yeah. me. Yeah, and from the post-World War II on, corporate yeah. capture was the big risk mm -hmm. when it came to media and to uh, an anchors and reporters and editors not being honest with their audience because it would run up against mm -hmm. the, the corporate interests of the people that financed their entire operations. Read manufacturing consent, read, you know, well-trod well terrain. A, what is becoming a big problem now is audience capture, and those kids are a perfect example of it, that they are afraid to say what they believe, which is that Hakeem Jeffries might not be the most wonderful person on yes, the planet. Right. But if they say that, all of a sudden, they, it all falls apart as they, so they start losing followers. It's what I love about uh, this format you have because mm -hmm. we have an we don't have a monolithic audience. We don't have one hegemonic group. Right. No. We've got- We have people all over. People all over Literally the place. Literally all over. And you yeah. really see it, when we, especially when we do in-person events. It's so crazy. I remember the first time we did a real student loan debate. It was genuinely 50-50. I mean, mm -hmm. And, and I, it's just so validating to be like, yeah, people really are, you know, all walks of life watch this show. Probably the thing yeah. Crystal and I are the most proud um, here. And I love, I love pissing people off. Yeah, it's like, fun. It's like, but, yeah. but, it's, but if, That's the other thing people forget. Right, but if the audience all felt one way, I could love pissing them off all you want, but like at, at the end of the day, you're not gonna be able to survive that no, if, no, no. if your entire audience right. like disagrees with you. And so there is that audience capture that you just, if, if you cultivate an audience that believes just one thing, like Democrats are amazing, mm -hmm. and Hakeem Jeffries is gonna lead them to the promised land, you just have to keep saying that. You're not independent, and too many people, describe themselves as independent today when they're not actually that's, independent of their audience. That's smart. That's a good way of putting it. I, I you know, I think about all the time, I've, I've shared with you before, we took a big hit. A lot of people canceled their premium subscriptions during the withdrawal from Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. And Crystal and I looked at each other and we were like, we're not gonna change a damn thing. We're just gonna right. keep going. And actually it was vindicating because in the long run, we got more by staying true to who right. we were. We would have, you know, business-wise, you could see how we're like, oh, we gotta, you know, make sure that we. Now said no. They said we believe this. Being anti-war is core to the things that we believe. If we make less money as a business, so be it. And again, I think it worked out actually in the long run. But you know, I know a lot of people in the business. They would take an opposite move. They really right. would. And uh, yeah, so you got to remain true to yourself. That's what I would say to these kids. Uh, you're 20 years old. You probably cringe at that clip in a few years, and that's okay. I cringe every time I watch old clips. It, me too. And it's not yeah. just YouTubers. Fox News yep. after yep. the Good November point. election yep. did not believe 
that the election had been mm -hmm. stolen, but started seeing audience bleeding out to Newsmax and these other places, right. and the orders came down, we need to play footsie with this stuff mm -hmm. because they, were they had become captured by their audience and had no choice. Smart. As everyone who watches this show knows, I love history. So I hear, there's a new Cleopatra thing coming out. I say, oh, great, Cleopatra. What a fascinating era, the Macedonian age, the declining you know, intersections with the Rome. We've had all those famous, the Mark Antony mm -hmm. stuff. I said, maybe that'll get into it. Uh, but then uh, it turns out the huge controversy erupts because, let's put this up there on the screen, Netflix's new Cleopatra slash historical series cast Cleopatra as black. Now, I personally had never thought about it. I mean, you know, it was a little bit weird, but it has caused enormous consternation actually in Egypt because the Egyptians say that cast, and I'm not just saying the Egyptians, I'm talking about the Egyptian government is calling out the United States and Netflix for casting a black actress to play Cleopatra. They claim uh, that they are falsifying Egyptian, hit. we are falsifying Egyptian history. We are desecrating uh, their heritage, their government, their antiquity, their overall history that is um, uh, not accurate and not true which has now caused, Ryan, a great study into what was Cleopatra. Uh, it turns out you know, that from 323 BC, we don't actually have a particularly good uh, uh, view into what the, racial, uh, what the racial makeup was of some of these figures. It's like Jesus, you know, we don't actually know all that much about Jesus. There's some accounts that say this, there's some accounts that say that. Well, uh, same thing apparently is true of Cleopatra. The general consensus is that she uh, had Persian ancestry of some kind, we know that she was Ptolemy, right? you know, Ptolemy, the Ptolemaic, Ptolemaic dynasty, that she had Persian ancestry of some kind, that she uh, possibly had some intermingling uh, ancestry involving slaves, um, but that to be a noble woman or whatever at that time very likely had the hue of what you would, uh, you know, uh, that you would relate an Egyptian person who's not black to be. Okay, so that, that's the general historical consensus, according to the Egyptians too. Okay. But again, you know, we don't technically know. Well, this then, what I love this is that this is peak Westerners in like putting their own mm -hmm. BS onto other cultures and then finding out that other cultures um, don't actually agree with us at all and actually get very angry. And it resulted in this New York Times op-ed that we showed you, Fear of a Black Cleopatra. Now, this was by an associate professor of philosophy at the University of Missouri and Dr. Gilbert, an assistant professor of classics at Mississippi State University. This uh, op-ed is probably best uh, noted as what actual critical race theory looks like. If people wanna know critical race theory, they're always like, well, that's a graduate level. This is a pretty good view into uh, what it is. And our friend Richard Hanania actually flagged, for me, my favorite part. Let's put it up there on the screen. They say, quote, Netflix's casting was informed by the views of Shelley Haley, who claims that although evidence of her ancestry and physical attributes are inconclusive, Cleopatra was culturally black. And so, what does that remind you of, Ryan? That reminds yeah. me of Rachel Dolezal. And so, as uh, Richard so aptly puts it there, they basically are saying that Cleopatra is the ancient Rachel Dolezal. 
which is certainly something. So I'm curious what you make of uh, this entire thing. Well, it's absurd. <laughs> it's it's incorrect. Yeah, it's just wrong. Yeah, that's why I'm was, like, what are you talking about? There was no such yeah. thing as black right. in Egyptian culture Correct. at that time. Right. Not until so later. Therefore, yeah. you can't be culturally black. It's just false. <laughs> now, I was doing some research yeah. uh, to get ready for this uh, yes, segment, sure. and I looked into another historical drama right. uh, called Hamilton. Uh-huh. And what I have done- Great I have, show, by the way. And I, yeah. I have uncovered a couple of disturbing facts. Okay. Uh, one is that George Washington was a character in, in the drama Hamilton. Yes, uh, played by a black not, man. Was not black. Yeah. Yes. He was white. True. Did you know that George Washington was white? Uh, I did not know that. Oh, thank you. Uh, Aaron Burr. Ah. Also white. Yeah. Right? Okay. Uh, Hamilton, Hamilton well. despite being born in the Caribbean, also white. Also white, right. So I think we're going to need a pretty like, serious run of corrections yeah. in the way that they portrayed. I actually think this is a fair point, which is who cares at all. Uh, mm -hmm. The only reason I think this is funny is because of the whole ancient Rachel Dolezal thing. And I don't know why they just didn't do what Hamilton did. The guy, uh, what's his name, Lin-Manuel Miranda, the way he wrote right. Hamilton, his explanation was it's America before told by America now. Um, I'm like, cool. okay, cool. cool. You know, right. I was like, whatever. You're, you know, you're the artist. Yeah, cool. yeah. It's like your yeah. show. By the way, it's a great show. I actually yeah. recommend people go and watch it. I know it sounds cringe, but genuinely, it's a great show. The songs are fantastic. It's a, it's fun. It's very captivating for two and a half hours. And the theater is also much smaller than you would expect. You know, when uh, you're there, it, it I, felt I much more in theater intimate. No, it's it's a lot of fun actually. Yeah. My point my point being, there's a way to do that and just be like, yeah, it's not you know, it's sort of, but. But, and I think this is where, in America, I think the idea of a heterogeneous multiracial society is much more baked into kind of who we mm -hmm. are. Whereas in Egypt, not so much. And uh, that was part of the problem, is that they were then trying to basically Western explain, like American explain, uh, Egyptian culture right. To Egyptians, and they were like, "No, no, 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 we're right. not going to be handling this." So right. it's I, caused a global freak out. I think they might actually ban it in Egypt. Oh this entire which is actually a whole other, you know, it's like, who cares, guys? Come on, you know, it's like, yeah. yeah. And and I think most people know the the barstool history of the the production of of race as a thing, but if mm -hmm. people don't, you know, it comes from mostly you know South America and the Caribbean Correct. after after the Spanish and then other European colonists came. Mm -hmm. And it was a way uh, to basically implant a hierarchy because you had people who were uh, born, so you had you know, the, highest, the highest in the hierarchy are Europeans born in Europe who have then come over to South America or to the Caribbean. Then below that you have uh, Europeans who are born in South America Correct. and in the Caribbean, but then they have their own pride because they're born there and they're calling themselves kind of native mm -hmm. to this land. But then you have inter intermingling, yeah, mestizo, of mestizo, and, and mulatto. Radio. Like you, 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 you have if you go to say Haiti or so, there, mm -hmm. there's something like 15 different oh, lists of like, all right, if you have, uh, you know, one. Yeah. A grandfather that's this and one and, and le they became legal now the haitians banned that Good. and tossed yeah. it after the revolution but that's kind of where it comes i was from. about to say i actually recommend dan carlin has a series on haiti and the racial obsessiveness it makes me mm -hmm. want to vomit when i listen to it because you're exactly right everything was ordered by drops of blood like right. they'd be like oh that's an octoroon as in you yes. have one eighth one eighth of right. black blood then they're like no that's a quadroon as in you have it's like, oh, this is, rep reading it is right. literally repulsive because that that's not only the way that their um, society was ordered, it was the way that 
money was distributed and it was the way through which power and all of that worked, which all was obviously on top of the most horrific conditions of slavery literally in the entire world at the time, which led to the uh, the revolution. What was the name? Toussaint? I, I uh, forget. Yeah, Toussaint. Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, the name of the person, the, it's like the Haitian George Washington. He was just celebrated yeah. in France. Uh, Good. Macron went to yeah. the prison where he died in France. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Because Napoleon um, went and got him. That's right, yeah. Which actually, that's yeah, kind of precipitated why the Napoleon didn't want anything to do with the American colonies, Louisiana right. Purchase. There's a lot of our own history, actually, um, intertwined with that. And you're right, and I'm glad that you brought that up, which is that the way that we think about race today is much more a byproduct of the repulsive historical legacy of the Spanish and mm-hmm. uh, Spanish uh, Spanish and Portugal African slave trade than mm-hmm. anything that happened, you know, two to three thousand right, like years if you, ago. Like the Moor of Venice. Mm-hmm. Is nobody in the play right. considers the more to be racially inferior? Oh, like good the, point. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I never thought about that. So, yeah, because it was right people, around that age of Spanish American. Yeah, people concept. understood that some people had different skin colors, yep. but that's not how they they judged people. It was mm-hmm. more now. There was plenty of tribalism, oh, and you and you might like uh, you know have tribalist ideas mm-hmm. about the Persians or about the Egyptians, but it wasn't. It it only became codified by skin color, thanks to the uh, colonialists over yeah, here very in true. North and South America. Well, shout out to them, I guess. Uh, I guess they're gone. Yeah. I'm glad we're gone. But th- that's why the Egyptians are like, what are you talking about? Yeah, the Egyptians are like, we don't, we don't do this over here. Okay? Yeah. All right. We'll see you guys later. Senator Dianne Feinstein returned to Washington after a three and a half month absence. She'd missed a lot of votes. Ryan, um, everyone hoped that she was in good health. And look, I want to say this at the top. As I've said here many times, I got nothing but compassion for elderly people who are in the last days of their lives. Nothing. Who are private citizens. But I have nothing but disgust for narcissists who are unable to do their jobs, who continue to cling on to power. And the photo I'm about to show you is genuinely disturbing. This is what Senator Feinstein looked like when she got out of the car after arriving in Washington. I mean, what are we doing here, Ryan? This is someone who... I mean, she literally looks like, like this, like days away. Like if, the queen looked better two days before she died. If, if and if you couple, yeah. if you coupled that image yeah. with uh, either an indication or even reports of a crisp mind, right. then you'd be like, but, yeah, sure. Then you'd be like, right. okay, right. Uh, that, as but, in, she can get better. I don't right. think so. Not no. looking at that. Yeah. No, like this yeah. whole get well soon when right. the person has dementia. Yes, exactly. Now she's awful, also suffering with shingles, and, mm-hmm. uh, which is extraordinarily painful. I feel like, very bad yeah. for her. I'm like, please retire. You have two hundred yeah. million dollars. Go yeah. sit in a in a palace in uh, wine country and be surrounded by your loved ones. Yeah, and, she, yeah. and the, what makes it doubly important is that she sits on the judiciary yes, committee, exactly, which can't move. Uh, judicial nominees, mm-hmm. like the one thing that the Biden administration can still do unilaterally because they control the Senate, right. not make uh, nominees the executive branch into the judicial branch, move them through the judiciary, move them through the floor of, yeah. of the Senate. Republicans can't stop them. Because Feinstein's not there on the on the Judiciary Committee, everything has been just ground to a halt. Mm-hmm. It, and, it, and it brings to mind for so many people, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who launched an, you know, an entire uh, girl boss campaign yes. in 2011, 12, 13 to push back on the pressure for her and Breyer mm-hmm. uh, to step down, uh, successfully so, and as a result, uh, wound up flipping the Supreme Court. Yeah, and, and very likely 
making sure that Roe versus Wade was overturned. Mm-hmm. I actually fully believe that if it had been 5-4, that Roberts would not have fully overturned mm-hmm. Roe versus Wade. I think it would have kept some some remnants of the Casey uh, architecture, and then we wouldn't be where we are today. But because right. it was 6-3 and he would be outnumbered anyway, he went ahead and joined. Right. Him. Yeah. That's yeah I, I really I, believe I, that. I think you're right that yeah. Roberts would be unlikely to be the fifth vote for mm-hmm. that. But he's right. happy to be the sixth one. Exactly. Well, he's like, oh, it's not on me. Right. He doesn't want to be the fourth against it. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that that's the like. I mean, she was a narcissist too. She said, "I'm the notorious, even though I've had cancer like five times, and I'm going to die on the bench, and as a result, fulfill the greatest legacy uh, and the greatest dreams of the pro-life movement and of the conservative movement." So, I guess you know, for them, they're like, "Yeah, RBG is a hero, just not the hero though that the liberals wanted to make her." And yeah. this is the thing too about Feinstein. Put this up there on the screen. She says, quote, even though I've made significant progress and was able to return to Washington, I'm still experiencing some side effects from the shingles virus. My doctors have advised me to work a lighter schedule as I return to the Senate. What is a lighter schedule? From zero. From zero. And also, you're a senator. You're barely within your right mind. Let's be, she ain't working that hard. All right, she ain't going anywhere. What is she doing? I mean, you know, within the last several years, when you would talk to her in the hallway, yeah. Her staff would constantly have oh, to remind her yes. of uh, you know, what what you're asking about, yeah. what you're um, asking about, what you're yeah. doing. Remember when she didn't remember that they put out a statement saying she wasn't going to run again? Mm-hmm. She literally didn't. Right. She forgot. Right. right. She didn't know what was going on. So right. look, end the farce. It's not right. There's yeah. 40 million people who live in California. They deserve representation. And some conservatives are like, "Why are you cheering for this?" Here's the thing. Look, California's going to elect a Democrat anyway. And my point is that it's not fair to those people who need constituent services. They need someone in their corner. Fight. Like right now, you only have the junior senator. If you had somebody with her level of seniority, she can make stuff move, man. If you're a California business, you got a problem with the tariff, she'll call the agency on your back. You probably used to 15 years ago. Today, nope. And that is fundamentally wrong in terms of representation. She got 40 million constituents the biggest state in the union, in the whole country. They got gas problems, they got housing problems, they got so much going on. You deserve somebody in the chamber who's actually doing something for you. Right, if you add up, uh, you know, North Dakota, yeah. South Dakota, Wyoming, Idaho, there's there's eight, mm-hmm. eight serving senators for like 17 people. That's right. Yeah. And California with, what, 60, 70 million so people I say has 40, like one. It's, I think it's 39 million. Is the whatever, what, whatever I mean, it's it is. a lot, it's, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like it's, almost 10% it's of the entire nation. I remember when I first started covering the Senate in 2006, seven, uh, there was a senator from Mississippi. Mm-hmm. I think it was Thad Cochran. Yeah, it was Thad Cochran. He actually resigned because he had dementia. He, yeah. would, he would, you would see him wandering, um, his like, w- just wandering around the Senate, like, because he'd been there since the 40s or yes, something. Right, yeah, he'd been, uh, yeah, very, very And it, it was clear that he was just completely out of it. And he, eventually, yeah. it, it took a long time, but eventually they're like, look, and you and I missed uh, the whole Strom Thurmond thing, who literally mm. served in 100, and also was gone. He was totally right. gone um, from everybody I've spoken to who knew and interacted with Strom Thurmond in his later years. They're like, he was basically a living corpse. Mm-hmm. And guess what? That also wasn't right either. And put his own personal history or whatever aside. Um, right. That still is not right to the people who he was serving. It's not, right. you know... I mean, look at Chuck Grassley. He's like, what, 90 years old? At least, um, at least he, when you talk to him in the hallway... Right. Um, He's, he's he's not who he used to be, yeah. but you can tell he's totally there. Still with it? Yeah. I don't know about that. Right. You don't think so? Listen, I'm just, well, the thing call about, me an ageist if you want. The thing is, he could be gone tomorrow, given the way that these things work. Yes, and, and also you have good days and bad days. Yeah, exactly. Like, so, anyway, yeah. Uh, Feinstein, 
It's time to go. We'll see you guys later. You've probably seen headlines like this. Lack of financial literacy cost 15% of adults at least $10,000 in 2022. Financial literacy is essentially the idea that if you understand the mechanics of personal finance, you will make better financial decisions and have a more prosperous life. You might be thinking, that sounds like neoliberal nonsense. The problem is not that people don't understand money, it's that they don't make enough money. And you're definitely right, you're totally right about that. People who write headlines like, financial illiteracy is an epidemic, should all be uniformly ignored. They do not get it. But as I researched this, I realized financial literacy doesn't have to be a completely stupid idea. It might even be worth taking seriously in the right context. Here's what I mean. If you don't have enough money, decrease your expenses, mm -hmm. and then your money will go further. If you don't have enough money, try spending less money. Now, when I think of the topic of financial literacy, I think of charlatans like her. People who totally discount systemic reasons for financial woes and instead write about things like lifestyle creep, which is basically going out to dinner too much as a core reason so many people are living paycheck to paycheck. You see this in annoying articles asking, are you financially literate? Here are seven signs you're on the right track or baiting you into reading about how financial literacy matters for your retirement savings, as if knowing just how to work the numbers is gonna matter as much as simply making enough money. And the advice they give is often frustrating and demeaning. Credit cards and loans might seem like easy solutions to our money problems. Not knowing how to manage them wisely can often leave you struggling. With financial literacy, you can better understand the terms and conditions. Well, damn, are you telling me that by financing my lifestyle with credit cards that I'm only able to pay off with other subsequent credit cards, thus commencing an inexorable accumulation of debt that I have no hope of ever escaping, are you saying that that's ill-advised somehow? Because apparently, only 24% of American adults have a basic understanding of financial literacy. And I may not be one of them, but when they say financial literacy, what exactly do they mean? Because the annoying advice money gurus give is pretty different from the questions that researchers ask to actually measure financial literacy. Now, personal finance training as part of US policy goes back to at least the 50s. Yes, Ralph has a budget and a method of saving that shows results. There was even a financial literacy and education commission established in 2003. This is an ongoing concern of the government. We actually spent a quarter billion dollars a year on this. And if you think some of that money is being wasted, you are not wrong. Because some of that money went to the FDIC to create this horrible game. Select a round to start earning coins. Welcome to round one. You may want to save money for your goals, to build wealth, for emergencies, to cover times when you have less income or more expenses. And of course, the banks are in on this too. Resolutions were just passed in Congress making April Financial Literacy Month just missed the barbecues. And this was supported by the Credit Union National Association. Well, wait, banks are fans of financial literacy? Wouldn't it benefit them to have financially illiterate customers? Turns out they are huge believers in education. Charles Schwab helps bring financial literacy to kids as young as four or five. Here are a bunch of teacher submitted lesson plans you can borrow to teach your 
third grader about sustainable financing. Bank of America volunteers helped Boys and Girls Club interns learn about budgeting and saving. Goldman Sachs donates $500,000 to Youth Financial Literacy Initiative. Of course banks do this. It's positive PR, and it helps teach kids that being poor is their fault for not knowing how to balance a checkbook. Do you think they should teach things like balancing a checkbook? We don't even teach kids how to balance a checkbook. Balancing, balancing a, a checkbook. checkbook. But I do keep teach my kids how to balance a checkbook. <laughs> no, we don't teach people literally how to balance a checkbook because that was made obsolete with online banking. But we do teach financial literacy. Now, the U.S. spends a quarter billion dollars a year on this. That's not much in the grand scheme of things, but it's almost double, for example, the National Endowment for the Arts. And that is quite unfortunate because apparently financial literacy training doesn't really work. Loyola Law School professor Lauren Willis concludes that financial education does not demonstrably improve financial well-being. And a meta-analysis of more than 200 studies found that educational interventions explain only 0.1% of the financial behaviors studied. Also, as far as I can tell, we don't even know how much money is actually lost to financial illiteracy. If you're looking up figures on financial literacy, you will very likely come across this report that estimates $352 billion were lost to financial illiteracy in 2021. The two articles I referenced in the intro for this video reference that report. The report is from the National Financial Educators Council, and how they conducted the study was by asking people one question during the past year about how much money do you think you lost because you lacked knowledge about personal finances. They then multiplied the average amount by the 250 million adults in the US, and that's how we have 352 billion. So the question is one, how reliable are these personal reports? And two, are people losing money because they're not financially literate or are people losing money because they were maybe bilked? Or how many people feel like they lost money because they lack personal finance education, but actually it's because they simply didn't have enough money and there was no way to avoid the overdraft fee or paying interest on a credit card or whatever. We have no idea. According to this report, a common financial illiteracy mistake is luxury spending. Apparently luxury spending costs Americans $65 billion. Scroll down to the section on luxury spending and all it says is that Americans spent $65 billion on luxury items in 2020. It offers no insight as to what percentage of that 65 billion was spent by people who couldn't afford what they were buying. And then it offers some wisdom. While you may need a purse, do you really need a Louis Vuitton? Scroll a little further down, personal impact on financial illiteracy 29.6% of Americans are in poverty or low income. But they established no concrete relationship between these two things. This could just as easily be Tom DeLong leaves Blink-182. 29.6% of Americans are in poverty or low income. Well, thank God he rejoined the band. Clearly, this report is problematic. But somehow, its results are finding their way into mainstream outlets like CNBC and Yahoo. And finally, what actually constitutes financial literacy? These are known as the big five questions for financial literacy. You can pause the video and read them, but something tells me that regardless of whether or not you know the relationship between bond prices and interest rates, it's not gonna be enough to lift you out of a low-wage job. Okay, but if we take a, a slightly more serious approach to this, it is possible 
that the sense of public urgency over the level of financial literacy in the population is a reaction to a greater personal financial responsibility in the face of increasingly complicated financial products. When I started asking people about this, no one told me they wish they were taught the concept of saving money earlier. No one said they wish that risk diversification had been more emphasized in kindergarten. People told me actually that essentially they wish they had been warned. And upon leaving high school, maybe gotten some practical lessons on navigating a predatory financial system. And if people were interested in reframing personal finance education like that, that's obviously not a solve for the predatory system itself, but I don't think that is a completely ridiculous idea. But the fantasy that some people have that financial literacy is the antidote to poverty, as if poor people just missed the lesson on budgeting, is idiotic and wrong. All the speak about using your money to maximize wealth or differentiating between needs and wants, that's all just worthless. Because in reality, any actual need we have for personal finance training should be held up to emphasize how opaque and cruel and unequal the financial system is to the average person. And that will do it for me. If you found this video interesting, make sure you are subscribed to Breaking Points. It costs you nothing. You can also check out my YouTube channel where I talk all about media and politics and other things. Uh, link in description. Liking and sharing always helps. Thank you so much to Breaking Points. Thank you for watching. And I will see you in the next one. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.